0: Mary Dewey is here in church today. Let's, uh, let's rejoice in that. Mary Dewey. Did you know that Mary and her sister are pastor's daughters? Did you, know, did you know that? Yeah. Our dads pastored the same church, not at the same time. Her dad pastored it like a few years before my dad did. But she fell and was injured and had surgery and She loves our church and loves to be here. And uh, I think this is your first time back. Am I right? So glad to have you. So glad to have you. Glad to have have each of you. Uh, It's sweet. You know, you kind of, I think about you all week, about what I'm going to say to you and how you're doing and uh, how I can help you and what's happening in your life. And you know this, we're in a series, Life is Hard you ever break a bone and then you have to tell the story about the broken bone for the next six weeks or so I heard about a guy this probably an apocryphal legend but I heard about a guy who had a broken I think it was a broken arm and somebody said to him so how, how did you break your arm he said well it's a long story you don't want to hear it and the guy made the mistake of saying Oh yeah, I want to hear it <laughs> How did you break your arm? And he said, well, my wife found a cockroach And she grabbed it and she threw it in the toilet And I was at work And he said it was a big cockroach And she, she noticed that it, was, it didn't die when she put it in the toilet it was swimming around and she was afraid it was going to get out and so she went and got some bug killer and she sprayed the cockroach with the bug killer and she said but it just kept moving so she emptied the entire can of the bug killer into the toilet on the cockroach but it just kept moving so she got another can And she emptied the second can of the cockroach killer into the toilet on the cockroach. And that's when I came home from work. And he said, it's my habit to use the bathroom and take a little smoke. And he said, so I was in there and when I put the cigarette butt in the toilet, I discovered that bug killer is flammable. And I got burns on some very private places. we called the ambulance and then they came and they put me on the gurney and they were wheeling me out and they said, what happened? And I told them and they laughed so hard I fell off the gurney and I broke my arm. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I did not come here for stand-up comedy. I came here to learn the Bible. I, like, I got get it. I get it. I had a friend, an acquaintance, a guy named Bill. He decided he was going to, Put together a nice romantic weekend for he and his wife. They're young people, and they got some special things and got some special places all set aside. And they they had this rendezvous in this hotel, and he turned all he. he spread the little flower petals out and turned down all the lights and they had special things to wear and this is as far as I'm going to go with that and and his wife went off uh, and to get ready and she came back and he had the lights turned down real low she couldn't see very well and she was making her way towards the bed in the darkness and the bed in the hotel where they were had a big post that she didn't see and she hit her head on it And had to have stitches, so they got her dressed and hurried her off to the emergency room. And he said they spent the evening in the emergency room. Life is hard sometimes. (laughs) Marriage is marriage is hard sometimes. And when I was praying about you and I was thinking about you, it's really you know the message title is "What to Do When Marriage Is Hard." But I need to give you a little disclaimer, a little caveat first. Because a lot of you are going to say, well, you know, I I don't have a problem in my marriage and I don't need to hear a message on what to do when marriage is hard. I, I get that, stay with me. Or you might think, well, I'm not married or I used to be married or I'd like to be married or I wish I, was, I, wish I wasn't married. You know, you, you might. there could be a number of circumstances and a number of circumstances are present here today. And I would just say to you, what we're going to do is what we're doing in this series is we are showing you from the Bible why life is hard and everything attendant to life is hard, including marriage and parenting and work and finances and aging and politics and all of that. And, we just, and we're basically going back to what the Bible started to tell us about what happened to make life hard and what to do about it. Marriage is one of those things that sometimes is just delightful. And a lot of songs are written about it. A lot of books and movies are written about it. But sometimes it's, it's not as delightful. Sometimes it's hard. Now yesterday, you're probably wondering about how I'm doing. Okay, I'll, I'll let you know. I was wondering the same thing myself yesterday. Uh, Lois has been sick. I've been trying to be good to her, take care of her. I ask her to rate our... Marriage on a scale of one to ten yesterday, and I said, "What do you think? How am I doing? You know, how are we doing? What what number would you give me?" And later today, if I'm in the mood, I'll let you know that number. But um, let's just say there's room for improvement, but it wasn't low. And let's just say this: we were talking when we were talking. I was studying in the corner of my room. And she was experimenting with some things in the kitchen, which smelled really neat. And she came up and was delivering to me little miniature fruit pies that she made. Pumpkin, cherry. So I was just sitting there writing this message thinking, you know, life is hard. Marriage is hard. But at the moment, I'm hanging in there hanging in there so i would just say i'm hanging in there but i want to talk to you about but but lois and i have had occasions when there was no pie on the desk and um things were hard and very painful and i won't talk a lot about that today because i won't talk about you and i want to talk about what the lord has to say about it but I i just want to begin by just saying i i think um it's like the the thrill of i've known the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat have you and so I think this is when we when we approach this. I want to talk with you a little bit about this. Maybe by beginning by asking a question. We believe that according to the Bible, marriage is God's idea. Take your Bible and look in Genesis chapter 1. And you notice that in Genesis chapter 1, beginning, very beginning of the Bible, you know God creates the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1. And he, he uh, creates... Uh, in 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 the second chapter, um, it says there's the creation of of men and and women, of man and woman, and in in chapter uh, two, in in verse nineteen, it says now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So Adam's kind of going, boy, elephant, girl, elephant. Boy, dog, girl, dog. Boy. Like, what's wrong with this picture, right? That's kind of what's going on there. There's no no helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman, brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. And therefore the man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And they all lived happily ever after. It's like, yeah, right, no, I I skipped to the end too soon, didn't I? It, It sounds good, though. Here's Adam alone. Now here's Adam with his wife, and they're naked and not ashamed. It's a good story so far, Mary. All In, in the, the things that God created, he says it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates man, he says it's good. Then he creates a wife for man and implies that's good too. Now if marriage is God's idea, and it is, and if it's an idea that came from God, and if it's a good idea, then the question that you have to ask is, why are so many marriages troubled then? Why do so often even the best people have tension in their marriage or in, in their family, in their, in their marriage? And, the, and that brings us really to the first thing I want you to understand, that marriage is hard because we live in a broken world. Genesis chapter 2 ends with they were naked and not ashamed, a description of marital intimacy or an implication of Marital intimacy. And Genesis chapter 3 begins with three words. What? Now the serpent, in, in my version in the ESV, now the serpent, more crafty than other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made, said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat, eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows what that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate... And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Who told you you were naked? I'm sorry. He said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. That's just such a guy thing to do, isn't it? It was, it was the woman you gave me. <laughs> and then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent <laughs> deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this cursed, are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And now listen to the woman. He said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing... In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, theologians talk a lot about what that phrase means, but it's obvious. Marital tension is introduced because of the fall. Would you agree? Tension is introduced into the marriage because of the fall. And most of us, that's also our personal experience. Our personal experience for most of us is like, Marriage seems like a really good idea. I'd like to do that. And our our personal experience may be having had some joy or success or fulfillment in marriage, but we also discover, and some of us it doesn't really take too long, we discover that there is this tension because of because when people marry, they're both sinners. So if marriage is a good idea, it came from God. Why are many marriages troubled? Because marriage is, is hard or troubled because they, they're among fallen, broken, sin-cursed people in a fallen, broken, sin-cursed world. The first marriage was immediately followed by the fall and the curse that we just read about in Genesis 3. Now the serpent. I'll multiply your pain of childbearing. <clears throat> in pain you'll bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. Jesus warned his disciples that life would be difficult and that marriage would be difficult. So so in talking to his disciples, Jesus warned them about the possibility that marriage will be troubled, difficult, or there will be relational tension in marriage. And he warned them so successfully that they said to him, do you remember what they said? Maybe it's better not to get married then. So Jesus warned his disciples that, so, so here's what we have. The Bible says that God did create marriage and that it is a good idea, but it immediately follows that with saying, but I need to warn you that within that marriage, it's, it's, it's going to be touched by the fall or by the curse, by the brokenness. <coughs> Jesus repeated that. Paul said that if you read carefully 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you're going to see That Paul talked about marriage and about separation and about believers marrying unbelievers and implied mature Christians marrying people that aren't mature Christians. And he said in 1 Corinthians 7, 28, those who marry will face many troubles in life and I would spare you from this. So marriage is God's idea and marriage is a good idea But we should never get the impression that marriage somehow exempts us from the effects of the fall but that within that marriage or whatever marital status or situation that you're in right now it's going to be touched by the curse the fall by brokenness now if you take your Bibles and you were to study which we just did we studied through Ephesians you get to chapter 5 you have one of the most extended passages in the Bible about, thank you, Neil. And one of the most extended passages in the Bible, you read my mind, uh, on marriage. And in that passage on marriage, it has some very succinct, clear, helpful, useful, timeless advice about marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. But it's also being used as a picture of Christ and the church. You remember that. So, if marriage is God's idea and it's good and yet it's it's still affected by the fall what hope is there why don't we just like if if marriage is going to be sometimes unsatisfactory why don't we just not do it or why don't we just give up or yield to despair or fatalism and I think a lot of people have done that they've resigned themselves to the idea that maybe marriage isn't going to work for them or didn't work for them and God's best, that they've somehow missed God's best and, they have, they, and they're living out some kind of an aversion of resignation or fatalism or hopelessness or worse, they've just chosen to walk away from God's truth and rebellion and they've just done what they want to do whether or not the Bible allows it or forbids it. Here's why we, won't, we don't want to do that, though. Because God designed us to bring him glory in any circumstance or in any marital situation. If you read a Bible carefully, matter of fact, you don't have to read it carefully to see this. If a cursory reading of the Bible will show you that God's intent is to bring glory to himself, What's best for you and God and the whole world is for God to have glory and that God intends for us to bring him glory in every imaginable circumstance and in every imaginable situation. Ed Pillars, I don't want to embarrass you, but I was thinking about you this week because Ed, we won't do this regularly just today, okay? And I was thinking about you because I I wanted to have my little writer's loft i have a little barn and i wanted to have the upstairs turn into a writer's loft i wanted to be able to write up there and i thought well if it gets hot maybe i will want an air conditioner so i i talked with ed and he came out and he wired my lo- writer's loft so that i could plug in a heater <coughs> and it wouldn't make my keyboard stop working or i could plug in an air conditioner it, it, so it's, an, it's a hundred-year-old barn. But what you don't know from the road, from looking at it from the road is, it's designed, it's wired for an air conditioner, for a modern air conditioner, for a pretty high-powered air conditioner. Thanks for that. It's wired for an air conditioner. It's made for that. So if I want to, I can go up there in a, on a cold winter day, and I can turn on a high-powered heater and stay warm. Or on a hot day, I could... Plug in an air conditioner and turn it on because it's designed for that. And this is what the scriptures tell us God has designed us to operate for the glory of God, and He's designed us to operate as fallen creatures in a fallen world for the glory of God. And I'm going to be pedantic here or overly simplistic, but if that's true, then he all he had it figured out that that marriage would be affected by the fall and that every that got that a person could glorify god in every marital circumstance so this is what the scriptures teach marriage is hard but it still serves god's purpose and god wants to be whole in a broken world. He wants us to be blessed in a cursed world. And this is true about our marital circumstances too. So it is with marriage in a broken and a cursed world. We can use our marital circumstance, or our lack of marriage, or we used to be married, or we'd like to be married, or our marriage isn't optimal. Whatever the marital circumstance is, there are examples in the Bible of how God used those marital circumstances to bring himself glory and actual satisfaction and joy to the person in whatever circumstance they were in because God designed the plan of redemption that's described and we've already read it we'll read it again in Romans chapter 8 God's plan of redemption where he's going to eventually bring the world to redemption restore it buy it back <coughs> it includes people human beings and human relationships and remember in, in Romans chapter 8, all of creation is watching created beings, objects of God's redemptive plan and his redemptive program, is eagerly waiting, which is another word for hope, and it says that in the text, It's hoping, eagerly waiting for the redemption of his creatures. So creation is watching the creatures who, who when they yield to God and they are redeemed, then God restores beyond his original purpose. And in between, we're moving toward that. You know that to be true. And so that includes every marital circumstance. And now, now how do we know that? Because if we read the Bible, we see every imaginable marital circumstance. For instance, like single is not married. It's a marital circumstance. You're not married for whatever reason. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 26 says that sometimes it's a preferred status there was a woman whose name was Margaret Margaret was a single woman who all her life desired to be married not to be too direct but she worked with college young ladies and she let them know a private truth about herself that she had strong sexual desire almost all of her life but her circumstances never allowed her to marry she Was raised in a home that was difficult but there's a little church down the street so she went down to the church down the street and she listened to the preaching and she loved she fell in love with the hymns that they sang down there and she came to know the Lord she decided that she wanted to be a missionary and so she devoted herself to missionary service but she was turned down by every single missionary organization because she was frail so since she couldn't raise money and go be a missionary, she decided that she had trained to be a teacher and that she would go teach in a remote region. She was from Canada. She would teach in a remote region of Western Ontario at a logging camp. And so she went and she served there in poverty and in loneliness because she couldn't be a missionary. She supported herself and she went to this place where she served the Lord. And while she was there, she She consoled herself in taking walks in nature and in noticing bird life, flora and fauna, and then writing poems and hymns. She wrote a hymn. Most of you, if you have a little age on you, you've sung this hymn. If you ever went to a missionary, organiz- a missionary conference when you were a kid, she's the one who wrote the hymn, the missionary hymn that we, that we used to sing, So Send I You. Do you remember that? So Send I You to labor unrewarded, uh, unrewarded, unpaid, unloved, unknown to suffer pain and hardship. It's a morose, sad, difficult song that we often sang <laughs> in missionary meetings when I was a kid. Margaret Clarkson wrote that song, so send I you. And she said, well, I guess I have to suffer as a single person who can't be a missionary. I'll just suffer. And that's the way it is. And that's how she wrote the song. And then she continued to live for the Lord and she continued to get education. She eventually was able to buy a little cabin in, this, up, uh, in the Canadian Shield on the Severn River, and, and, and during the summertime, she would go up there, and she would have to paddle a boat out to her cabin, but she wrote the most beautiful lyrics to songs and hymns and beautiful nature books while she was there. And her hymns were picked up by the Young Missionary Movement, InterVarsity, uh, and the um, uh, Urbana Missionary Fellowship picked up her missionary hymns, and young people all over the world sang her missionary hymns. And she wrote books for young people, especially young women that were single. She desired to be married, but she never married. Not too many years ago, she went to be the Lord, never having married. But before she died, she wrote another hymn. But the second hymn was a version of the very first hymn that she was famous for, So Send I You. But what she had discovered in between was that Jesus was not only enough for her, But that Jesus gave her great joy, great satisfaction, great fulfillment. And and, and so her her second hymn, she would say, corrected her first hymn. Because her first hymn was, well, go suffer for the Lord. It's going to be hard and you're going to suffer and do it anyway. (laughs) And her second hymn was basically, if you give your life in serving the Lord, even if he withholds some things from you, he will give you a greater depth of satisfaction than it's possible in any other way. The Bible teaches that you can glorify God as a single person. And God may call you to be a single person. Or the marital circumstance that we call single again, which may be sad. We had a lady in our church years ago named Diane who was single. And she's a little bit older. And I would always apologize to her. But she would sit through my messages on marriage or parenting And Diane would always say to me, Pastor, no, I love it when you preach on marriage and parenting. Someday I hope to be married myself. A man came along. Not too many years after that, and he married her. But the marriage didn't last long because she found out later that he had deceived her and he had already been married to somebody else. He was currently married to somebody else. so now she's single again. If Diane came to me and she said to me, Is it possible for me... To have joy and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction to be used of God. I wouldn't tell her, no, you used to be married and now you're single again. So it's impossible for you to serve God now, would I? That's not what the scriptures teach. So if some of you are single and some of you are single again. And if you're married, you're married to a sinner. And if you're married to a sinner, you are also a sinner. I'm glad you came to church today. Some of you, your marital separation is separate, marital situation is separation. Or, or the Bible even talks about people that are married to unbelievers. I now mean, you shouldn't marry an unbeliever, but people do that. And so, or sometimes they marry and then one gets saved, so now they're married to an unbeliever. In 1 Peter chapter 3, let's just turn there. 1 Peter chapter 3, and let me show you what Peter said to a person who's in a marital circumstance that's less than ideal married to a person who is an unbeliever. And, and yet in one of these epistles of, from an apostle inspired by God, you have specific teaching on this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful, pure conduct don't let your adorning be external braiding of the hair putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle quiet spirit which is in god's sight very precious For this is how the holy women who hoped in god used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as sarah obeyed abraham calling him lord in other words she's respectful to him and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. So, so Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, specifically directs one of the most beautiful passages about marriage to people married to an unbeliever. As if it is possible to be married to a person who doesn't follow the Lord and follow the Lord and glorify God and find satisfaction in life. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, so your prayers will not be hindered. So you have, in the Bible, you have single people that are glorifying God, finding fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy in God. You have single again people. You have married people who are sinners married to sinners. You have separated people. You have people that are married to unbelievers And what 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 describes is beautiful, but it's not a starry-eyed romance, is it? It's not an idyllic romantic movie or or song. It's kind of raw and kind of real. And yet, in that circumstance, God knows that many times and many places, godly people who love the Lord will find themselves... In a circumstance like that and wants us to know this is where he he wired us for that he designed us for that that we could bring him glory and find fulfillment joy and satisfaction in obedience to him in every marital circumstance so we don't despair we don't turn our back on God and we don't you know dive into a life of disobedience or or feel like we're a second-class citizen or maybe you're married to an especially difficult person Maybe you're married to a person who wrestles with mental illness. And there's some really dark and difficult and hard things that you live with all the time. And there are ways that God has given to us to to flee dangerous situations or to call uh, authorities in for our protection. There are circumstances like that. But in all of these marital situations, though they may be handled in a different, each one in a different way... The point I'm trying to make is that the Bible teaches us that God can be glorified in every marital situation. And the Bible teaches us that we can be satisfied, we can be fulfilled. Marriage in a fallen world may include misunderstanding, and it may may include alienation, and it may include loneliness, and it may include rejection, and it may include include abuse. Verbal, physical, emotional, spiritual, abuse it may involve divorce or separation the bible addresses all these things specifically so if we look for an easy marriage we're going to be disappointed if we look for to our wife or to our husband or to a marital partner for what only god can do we're going to be disappointed if we try to give to our marital partner what we really only should give to God, we're going to be disappointed because that's not how he wired us. That's not how he designed us. He designed us to live as broken, fallen sinners in a broken, fallen world for his glory in that circumstance, in the ugliness of that. In other words, we don't have to display to the world a, a perfect beauty in us or a perfect beauty in our marriage in order to glorify God, we don't have to show the world a perfect marriage. We have to take an imperfect marriage and use it to show them a perfect heavenly father. How do you respond to the imperfections in your marriage? You can bring glory to God. There's somebody. It's the. This is maybe not a helpful illustration, but some of you will appreciate it. it, it to me, it's the difference between Larry Burkett and David Ramsey. You know who I'm talking about. So Larry Burkett was the guy on the radio. He was with the Lord now. He was a great guy. And he did everything right financially. And he got on the radio and talked about it. I hated that guy. You now he would be like, tithe on your paper route money. I'm like, oh, man. You know, and put away this much and that. I'm like, I would just turn Larry Burkett off. Now, I'm going to see him in heaven someday. I apologize. But I'm, I just turn him off because he was like, he always did everything right. He's that little kid with his hair parted on the right, who you know showed up and shared his lunch or whatever. Here comes Dave Ramsey, right? You know Dave Ramsey's an entertainer, right? But he's like, I made every imaginable mistake. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna listen to this guy. Like, I got in debt. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm all ears. And then I squandered money. I'm like, I'm listening. I'm taking notes. Like, help me now. So, in my <laughs> personal opinion i found Dave Ramsey sometimes can be irritating too. But I've found it helpful to have some guy telling me, hey, I'm not asking you to look at me as a perfect example. I'm, I want you to look at me as an example of a person who's like blown it. And to some degree, that's, that's, I believe, what I'm trying to get across is that you might be thinking, oh, I don't have this perfect marriage. Well, probably very few you know, nobody really does. Some better than others, right? I get it. But no, you, you don't, and, and, and you don't know from the outside looking in what pain people are dealing with. You don't know that. Here's what we can know. God has allowed your marital circumstance. And there is a way in your marital circumstance for you to obey God in a way pleasing to him that brings him glory. And there's fulfillment in that for you and the testimony in that for you. This should encourage you. And Kivu obeying the Lord and trusting him and not turning it in despair away from the Lord. <coughs> Remember it this way. God especially loves to build beautiful things out of broken things. And my grandfather bought this farm and it was just an old farm and, and, and it was cheap and it was out in the country. It was like uh, pretty much, you know, it was, buildings weren't perfect. They needed a lot of work. The house needed a lot of work. The barns needed a lot of work. My grandfather lived through the Depression. I'd go work with him on the farm, and I would notice that when he was fixing something, he he wouldn't just get in the truck and go to town and buy stuff. If he needed boards, he would go over to an old building that was falling down, and he would pull the boards off another building. If he needed nails, he had a can of nails that he had salvaged from another building that had fallen down, and he had spent the afternoon straightening old nails. He took old stuff, and he built new stuff with old stuff, that had a unique beauty to it, he, and this is what God wants to do with you, and this is what God wants to do with me. You might think, oh man, I got off the rails so long ago. I messed up my life. I messed up my mirror. I made a mistake. God says, I love people like you. You're the people I use to do beautiful things with. You're, you're the broken pieces that I lay together into a mosaic that brings me great glory. This is the way God works. This is the way God brings glory to himself. This is how God wired you. This is the way God designed you. That's why I love this. And Isaiah chapter 61 always reminds me of my grandpa grabbing things here and there and building something beautiful out of broken things. This is a prophecy about what Jesus does in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This prophetic reference to Jesus. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn and to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress of, uh, instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they might be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified and they shall build up the ancient ruins and raise up the former devastations and repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. The Bible is absolutely full of hopeful promises like that attached to people who will trust in Jesus and continue to follow him. And that includes our marital circumstances no matter what they are. So the question that remains is how can you do that And and this is the answer. You use your marital circumstance to live in faithfulness to God and bring him glory. To flourish in any condition, use your marital circumstance to display the truth of the gospel. And find your satisfaction in the Lord. Ask this, how is God using my marital hardship to bring glory to himself? And how is God using my marital hardship to bring good to me? And to flourish, you need the righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you something here about um, six questions to ask when you face hardship. I've shared a version of this before. You want to just display the next slide and build out the whole slide. I've shared this before in a version. I want you to see this again because I think it's just a useful and a very useful and very practical way that can really help you think about whatever your marital circumstance is right now. Or you want to plug in any hardship you're going through or anything bad that happened. But think, you know. Well, like, let's just say you're married <coughs> and your mate is imperfect. You may have that problem, okay? Or let's just say you're married and you, you're afraid that your husband is a narcissist. I mean, you've been looking at the internet, so you probably think your husband's a narcissist. <laughs> Sorry, we won't go there. Anyway, or, or let's just say he is. Or or let's just say you're single and you wish you were married. Or you're married and you think it might have been better if I... All right. So just just take whatever that is. and, and, And you could add to this. This is just a helpful, practical list that I created to help people when they believe, my goodness, my life is broken, and I don't know how to fix it, and I don't know what to do. Okay, here are six questions to ask. And if, maybe you remember me, if I, if I taught this before, I would always say, maybe start a journal and, and spend time answering these questions in your journal and do it over a long period of time. As long as the pressure of that hardship, as long as you're living with the pressure of that hardship, as long as you're dealing with that pain, then keep writing in your journal because God is going to keep teaching you new things. And there are some questions that are representative of the kind of questions that Christians should ask. You don't make the basketball team. You could do this. Or you get on the team, but you never get to play. You ask these six questions. You want to be married, but... God just hasn't led you to the right person. You ask this. Your husband doesn't treat you right. You ask these questions. Your wife doesn't understand you or meet your needs. They ask, the, okay, you get it. All right. Number one, what good can come to this? Now, you know, this comes from Romans 8, It comes from the statements of the Bible that God is good and powerful and omniscient and omnipotent and, he's in, and, and all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose to be conformed to the image of his son. Then you say, what good can come from this? If something bad happens to me, God is, say it, Eddie. Up He's up to something good. Eddie said that in the elders meeting yesterday, so I knew he remembered. If, God, if something bad is happening to you, God is doing something good. If something bitter is happening to you, God is doing something Sweet is what I was looking for, and good, yes. And it's bitter and sweet, get it, bad and good. Um, Work with me, people. This is something I would love for you to remember if, for some reason, I'm not planning on going anywhere, but if for some reason, God, this is my last time to talk to you, I want you to remember this. And that is, when something bad has happened to you, if you love God, He's doing something good. And when something bitter happens to you, He's doing something sweet. And so you ask what good can come from this lord and you start writing in your journal and start thinking about when you're driving your truck or you're out taking pictures taking a walk or exercise what good what good can come from this The second thing is Romans 8:29 How is this making me more like Jesus or what quality of Christ likeness is this forming in me What quality of Christ likeness is God working on Is he working on your love your joy your patience your gentleness what's he doing what's God doing in you because that's what Romans 8 28 and 29 are really saying his purpose is to conform you to the image of Jesus and though so he allows hardships like like a, a good woodworker will use sandpaper to make a beautiful thing And God is crafting something in you then you ask the question since I'm here to glorify God how can I glorify God in this oh my marriage isn't perfect but I will glorify God in my marriage, Or my wife left me, but I will still glorify God. How can I glorify God? And, it, and maybe you're ongoing through an unbearable sorrow. And I understand in some cases you need to flee a dangerous marriage. Sometimes the, there are circumstances when God makes provision for something else. I understand that. It's really not what I'm talking about right now. But it's a very real thing. And one should get counsel about these things. But ask the question, how can I glorify God? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do all the glory, glory of God. How do I glorify? I got cut from the basketball team. How can I glorify God now? I missed on my test and I didn't get the score I wanted. I got fired. I changed my hours. My wife treats me like I shouldn't be treated. She says things to me she should not say. She does things she should not do. Okay, God isn't surprised by this. How can you glorify God now? It's a powerful liberating thing to start the journal of your heart and go, okay, this is what God has allowed To happen, but he's wired me to glorify him, so how can I glorify him? Fourth, who can I help with what I'm learning? This is powerful. People are going to come into your life, and when you talk to them about what you're going through and trusting God for, you're going to have a power on your life because you're going to be a witness, and you may not be like a trained pastor or teacher, or you may have a doctorate in that, but like you, your friend calls you because he knows you've been through that thing and he's looking to you and you can help them because you have found God sufficient in the thing they need to find God sufficient in. Who can I help with what I'm learning? Now you have a ministry. That's very fulfilling. What, how does God want me to think about this? This is kind of what we're talking about here. How does God want me to think about it? And it's critical that you don't allow yourself to meditate on what you shouldn't meditate on. Yeah, I've done this. I'm mowing the lawn and, and I, Lois did something I didn't like or didn't do something I wanted. And I'm thinking of things I could say to her, but won't, you know. So I'm just mowing the lawn. This happened a long time ago, just so you know. But not that it couldn't have happened recently, but it did. I remember a long time ago thinking, well, if I was good, I would tell her this. And thought, that would be a good one too. And I would tell her this. Oh, and that, yeah. And then I would tell her, and that's an example right here. you know. And I was building up, you know, a, like a, an argument that was like, that would, she would never be able to resist. You know, she would melt into tears of repentance and never do those bad things again. So I'm riding around, I'm trying to be funny here. Now, so I'm riding around mowing, thinking about those things and thinking to myself, but I'm not gonna say any of them. Now, what do you do when, you, when, when it happens? You walk in the door and you go, and you unload the whole, if you're like me, you unload the whole thing you weren't gonna say because you act on what you think about. And you talk about what you think about. So you might want to be careful about the way you think about stuff. That's all I'm saying. The meditations of the heart, let the Lord let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be line up with your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19. So ask God, how do you want me to think about this? You might be thinking, my marriage is unfulfilling. My wife is mistreating me. God, how do you want me to think about that? And then you think, well, now they mistreated Jesus. And he used that circumstance to redeem the whole world and show God's love to people. So that's what I want to do. Rejoice, be exceeding glad. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. So rejoice and be exceeding glad. You know, that would be like. Do good to those who despitefully use you. What nice thing am I going to do? Think, and and how does God want you to talk about it? That's the number six. And you can add to this. I I had a need once for a helper in a ministry, and it was a serious need. I was praying about that, and I went to speak at a camp up north, and there was a guy named Ken there. And the organization that I was with... Uh, it was kind of narrow, and this guy said, "I'd like to come and work with you." And I thought, "Oh, I'm not sure that's going to work." You know, he had a, he had a difficult marital circumstance and situation in his past. I wasn't sure if he'd be well received in that organization. And so we were walking one day, and we were talking. And I said to him, "Well, I love you, and and I can see you want to serve the Lord, but I'm afraid you might get hurt in this organization. Here's what you would have to do." Anyway, he went through the steps he needed to go through. He got hired, he came to help, and he was an amazing helper. He was a dear friend, amazing helper. He gifted, gifted man. He was like, what do you need done? He got it done. He was so useful. He was such a friend. He was such a friend of my little boys at the time. We were running the character, and my little boys, Dan and Wes, are little running around like Huff Nye and Phineas, you know. And I was worried about that. And he was always helping with them. And he went on to get promoted. One day. I took him out for lunch and uh, we were having lunch and I said to him, Ken, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have you in the organization, how much you've helped and what a friend you've been to me. And he said, there was a time in my life I thought I would never be used of God again because on my fifth anniversary, I thought I had a really good marriage and I took my wife out for dinner on my fifth anniversary and she just coldly looked across the table and says, I don't want to fight, and I don't want to have a problem, but I don't love you, and I don't want to stay married, so I'm going to divorce you, and she divorced him and walked away, and he was a young man, and he was single, and now he was divorced. He didn't want to be divorced. He hadn't been unfaithful to her. He'd tried to be a good husband. He's a good man. She's tired of him and walked away, and that was that, and he said, I just felt like my life was over. I definitely knew I wouldn't ever be able to be used to the Lord after that. And he said he met his wife, Penny, married Penny after that. They had a little girl named Kimberly, and they went to a family camp one day, and they heard me talking, and he came and worked with me, and he was so useful, and Penny was so useful. Kimberly was so useful and so fulfilled in what they were doing. It's such an important part of the ministry. Never could have done what we did there if Ken Krause hadn't done what he did there. And when I left the ministry, they, they took him to the organization headquarters where they have $90 million worth of real properties and lots of things to fix, and eventually made Ken Krauss the head of all of the properties of that organization. And they would fly him around the different places, which sounds super romantic, but it was like really hard work, fly him around the different places and he would supervise things and all it was powerfully used of the Lord in that. And yet there was a time when he just thought, because of his marital circumstances, no way he could bring glory to God. No way he could serve the Lord. And a little side benefit of that was kind of neat. I remember when Ken and Penny came, and I was talking about them coming to work with us, and I was trying to tell them how hard it would be, how many difficulties there would be. Why would you want to come and do this? He said, because of our daughter, Kimberly. Kimberly. We, would, we think it would be good for Kimberly to be around people here in this organization, and we want her to have every advantage that she can have. One of the men that I worked with in the organization was Pastor Shoemaker, who headed up the college that met with the college organization that met within the building that we had. And, and not too long ago, his son, who's a good, believing kid, and Kimberly were married and started their own family. That where they met, where Ken went to serve the Lord. And I don't know what God has for you, but I know that God has something good for you. And it doesn't matter if you've had unfavorable marital circumstance. As a matter of fact, it might be one of the requirements to be used to the Lord. Jim Digman's going to come and bless you. We want you to be blessed. We want you to go encouraged today. Encouraged to follow the Lord. Encouraged to trust him. And I hope that's happened today. Would you stand and receive a blessing? If you need counsel, I'd love to talk with you about your personal circumstance. We have prayer partners that are going to be here to pray with you even today. Thank you for coming today. Receive a blessing now.